0: Welcome. You're about to meet a sophisticated redneck. You probably won't laugh at his attempts at humor, but there's always that draw. I think I see him coming out of that barn over on the far left. And here he is, the Couth Hillbilly. Folks, this is the Couth Hillbilly once again. Welcome back. This episode has turned out to be my longest to date by a bit. You need not try to consume it all in one sitting. I think it worthy of listening to all of it, but there's a possibility that I'm slightly biased. Anyway, on with the show. Conservatism. What is it? What did it used to be? What should it be? Should it be? It's wholly understandable that people want to conserve to keep what they have. But while that makes sense based on the definition of the word, how does that translate to a politi- political perspective? While there may not be as many versions of conservatism as there are people, there may be too many for me to address in what's left of my lifetime. Just claiming to be a conservative doesn't exactly convey all that much of an understanding of that person's political proclivities. I like to go back to the beginning of whatever I'm looking into. The general concept of conservatism has been around since forever, so I'll need to pick out a point that affects our modern use of the word. We could begin with Edmund Burke, though what he understood to be conservative would have a connection with very few applying that term to themselves today. Rather than looking at this from an academic or historical perspective, I'll just take today's reality head-on. I must admit to my own bias on this subject. Let me offer an analogy. I see a conservative as being someone in a car that is inexorably moving forward. The windshield has been painted over, The driver is steering based solely on what he sees in his rearview mirrors. He thinks that he's actually headed to his fantastical version of paradise somewhere in the mystical past. Back in the day of Barry Goldwater, he sold a great many copies of his book, The Conscience of a Conservative, when running for president in 1964. Having bought and actually read a copy, I was greatly relieved at his loss. That ism has never engendered a positive response from me since. George W.'s compassionate conservatism wasn't a road to Damascus moment for me. I failed to find either compassion or conservatism in him or his mumbling. Why do most people call themselves conservatives do so? probably because daddy does or his her buddies do or he or she likes some celebrity that identifies that way. Now, that doesn't mean that they hold the exact same concept of conservatism. That person they admire may have wealth or status to conserve that their admirer does not have. Some undoubtedly expect or at least hope themselves to be in that position someday. Realistically, few will ever see those dreams come true. But they will continue to label themselves that way out of habit, and the same will likely be true of their social group. There are some who were born to or achieved a fairly comfortable lifestyle which they expect to retain. That may actually be the case of some of them. However, voting conservative is no guarantee. In fact, most people identifying as politically conservative are voting against their own best interests. How so? Because their interests are not exactly the same as those politicians calling themselves conservatives. Nor are they very honest in how they present themselves and hide their intentions. Some years back, I had a friend who desired to be a representative in Congress. We were both in real estate at that time. For his family, it was a generational career. For me, it was an interlude of a couple of years. He was also a deacon in the Baptist church. He ran a couple of times against the incumbent, a Democrat, but she decided not to run again. Having run twice, though unsuccessfully, he was the only candidate in the district with name recognition. By the way, name recognition is usually the most important factor in political races. Seemingly, every time we got together, he milked me for political insights. I guess I was a mentor. So, he won in his third try. Before taking office, he went to Washington for orientation by the Republican Party. Now, This was the year that two sleazeballs, Newt Gingrich and Dick Armey, reveal their 10-part contract with America. The party had gone out and done a polls to find out the 10 most popular issues with the public, not just Republicans, with the entire public. One item was a three-term limit for federal office. I asked why Newt didn't just resign. Yes, he was going on his ninth term at the time, and well past the three-term limit. Freshly indoctrinated by the Republican orientation, his casual, unfiltered response was, they weren't promising to vote for any or enact any of those things. They were just promising to bring them up for a vote. My friend served eight terms. When he got to D.C., he stayed in a house with several other members that was provided by a wingnut religious group. He left his wife and daughters back home, and that facilitated his affair with the party's district chairwoman. I didn't realize that was a qualifying requirement for Baptist deacons. I had earlier suggested that he would be well advised to include a devil's advocate, or in his case, an angel's advocate, on his staff rather than a bunch of yes-men. At his victory party, he went to some lengths to avoid me. I guess I'd served my purpose. As for Newt, I expect one of these episodes to include how I met him and my first impressions, which he's constantly reaffirmed. He asked to meet me while I was city councilman back in 1974, five years before he was elected to Congress. He also lost twice to the incumbent, and on his third run was the only one running with name recognition. Now, don't lump all conservatives into one pile. They may appear more that way than in reality because of the influence on the Republican Party of their most recent joke, the orange clown. There are those claiming to be physical conservatives. Their problem is that they don't really understand or perhaps can't don't really care about real-world economics. And while this group may believe their claims, they and most other Republicans are cutting taxes and increasing spending. Not all Democrats are blameless in this regard, though. Though they are quite successful in laying the blame on the other side of the aisle, a close look at congressional history will point the finger in the right direction. Reagan tripled the debt in only, what, eight years? Somehow that led the GOP to elevate him to the title of St. Ronnie. Now the neocons, though usually not conservative in any traditional sense, obsess on a singular issue, war. They ignore the dictum that war is the last resort of diplomacy. To them, it is the only option the fact that they are always wrong has never deterred them. From Korea to Afghanistan, the only war I can think of that we can claim as a victory was Grenada. Of course, their opponents were primarily Cuban construction workers building a new airport. However, it was a close run, since St. Ronnie had put the loose cannon, Colonel Oliver North, in charge of coordinating naval and ground forces from his cubbyhole in Washington. Then there are those of the religious right. For the most part, they are blindly following power and money-motivated Christian leaders that Jesus probably wouldn't recognize. When the issue of Roe v. Wade first garnered some public attention, Jerry Falwell and his peers ignored it. As a Catholic a Catholic issue. It took a while for the Republicans to convince Jerry and the others that they could be a significant power block. Interestingly, it was not until around nineteen twenty three when the Catholic Church itself took a stand on the subject. Their biblical source for that position is quite strange. Once upon a time there was a man named Er. God considered him wicked, so he killed him. Ur died without having produced a child, so his father, Judah, promised his widow, Tamar, that his other son, Onan, would impregnate her to provide her a child which would be Ur's child. Yeah, it worked out some way, I guess. Anyway, Onan began, but didn't want to finish the job, so he pulled out and "...spilled his seed upon the ground." So God struck him dead. Why? The church claimed that God was unhappy because that was the method of birth control. Pulling out early is actually called onanism. Remember, immediately after Roe was overturned, Clarence Thomas and others announced that they were going to make birth control illegal. I hope my vasectomy doesn't qualify, So far, I haven't been struck dead, I don't think. Anyway, pay attention. It wasn't abortion. Onan didn't get her prego. However, the church somehow extended that behavior as being akin to abortion. Remember, this was during Prohibition. No, that was here in the United States, not the Vatican. The story gets weirder. Tamar still wanted to give her dead husband a child. She disguised herself as a prostitute, working a road that her father-in-law was going to travel on. Judah saw her and called her to come to him. And she asked, what are you going to give me? He said, I'll give you a young goat. I just don't happen to have one on me right now. Tamar asked for a security deposit. He gave her his seal with its rope and his cane. She became pregnant. Just the right time of the month, I guess. When Judah was told that his daughter-in-law was pregnant, he ordered her burned to death. Tamar gave Judah back the security deposit and said, these belong to the father of my child. Judah said, she is more righteous than he, and she bore him twin sons and they lived happily ever after. Well, not really, but That's that's enough of the story right now. So that's God's position on birth control and abortion. However, had Judah burned Tamar at the stake, he would have committed an abortion. But the Bible, the Vatican, the extreme court continue to be silent about that. Of course, they probably don't even know about that. Conservatives have strange standards for their piety and seem focused on justifying their positions. There are many other examples, but we need to get along and further explore conservatism. Conservatives preferred King George over the founding fathers. They preferred slavery over freedom. They preferred women as property. They were the ones fighting against black and brown American children getting a decent education. Conservatives fought against child labor laws. Yes Here in the United States, there were children as young as 10 years old working 12 or more hours a day while chained to their workbenches. Despite their marketing, they want an intrusive government keeping tabs on your bedroom activities. They want you to pay taxes while they are exempt. Though few or no conservative politicians seem to know anything about education, they want to tell trained teachers what and who and how to teach. Think Florida Governor Ron Ensantis, oh DeSantis, whatever it is. What have conservatives supported that would improve the lives of we the people? Conservatives want to strip all the rest of us of vital protections. Now they call them regulations. Or maybe conservatives are like poisoned water and polluted air. Maybe they prefer unregulated airlines, unaffordable health care, diseased meats and veggies coated with herbicides and other poisons. Why would conservatives support all of these barbaric positions? Because the rank and file grew up in a conservative social setting, or they have been swayed by sugar-coated fantasies spun by the conservative elite because they place a greater value on money than people. You don't need to take my word for it. The evidence distorts every aspect of our lives. The overwhelming majority of conservative voters vote against their actual interests. Conservatives are against unions. Are all unions models of charity? No. But an even smaller percentage of corporations are. As Robert Reich said, Musk and Bezos are not going to pay you any better on Mars. Corporations have all the assets. They buy politicians to enact laws that advantage them, at the expense of the public. The playing field is not level. Unions develop a degree of power to balance corporate power to some degree. Following World War II through the 50s and 60s, the U.S. experienced the most dynamic economy in its history. Why? The unions reached their peak in percentage of labor being members. The benefits of increased productivity was shared with the worker, who spent it in that juice of the economy. Now the corporations and their officers and stockholders keep it all to themselves. They don't invest in creating jobs, at least not in this country. During the administration of the Republican President Eisenhower, the marginal tax rate was 91%. If those with wealth didn't invest, the government taxed it. Factoring in inflation, household income reached its peak in 1973. And that was when a very high percentage of households had only one income earner. Now, two income earner households can't match the one income earner in the pre-1973 era. Why 1973? What happened? Well, that was the year of the first oil embargo. The price of oil quadrupled that year. We were hit with a second embargo in 1979. And then came Mr. Conservative, St. Ronnie. Another highlight of Ronnie's tenure was his adherence to the Conservatives' devotion to law and order, During those eight years, 138 members of his administration were convicted of crimes, but only a little over 100 were found guilty of ethics violations. Given the confusion over what is a conservative and incompatibility of the various groups, so-called, why would they exist in any appreciable numbers in today's body politic? Just what motivates them? Fear Fear Those with wealth and status fear the potential loss. Just feed them promises of tax cut and protection from the masses. You know, those other conservatives who fantasize that they will win the lottery, or those who are powerless and living hand-to-mouth in the wealthiest country of all. And then there are the people of color trying to get to the land of plenty from various hell holes. They promise to keep them out while there are more jobs than people in this country while their participation in the workforce would actually help grow our economy. In other words, people who are here because their families have immigrated want you to fear immigrants. They blame undocumented workers for crime when they have a much lower crime rate. Why is their crime rate lower? Because they need to stay under the radar. The religious right are skilled at manipulating their target audience. Their leadership is composed of cafeteria Christians. They pick and choose the parts that are useful to them. The example of the leadership leads much of the rank and file to imitate that pickiness, you know, right to lifers who take pride in supporting the death penalty. Our religious rightists would crucify or at least imprison Jesus were he to appear in their midst. Remember, it was the religious rightists that called for his, his crucifixion not the godless liberals. The religious right, those proclaiming their devotion to the Prince of Peace and Christian love, have supported violence and hatred of those wicked enough to disagree with them. Fear is the greatest political motivator. It is also the easiest to generate. To use it, you need to cut out a group that needs to be feared. Though fewer in number than the Democrats or the Independents, the GOP turns out large numbers using fear. Separating the various demonized groups has transmuted the United States into the untied states. What could be, and should be, one of the safest countries in the world harbors a population that fears almost every stranger and anyone different in skin tone or lifestyle, rather than the ones they need to fear, the political leadership and the those that bought those politicians. Were all voters sufficiently aware of their own best best interests, those identifying themselves as conservatives would number in the low single digits. Many who feel a level of comfort in the company of other conservatives are not comfortable exploring public issues. Perhaps they don't feel confident in analyzing the issues. But a politician or others with strong opinions understand that these people need a position. They prefer being sheep, so they follow a shepherd that will tell them whatever lies they will find satisfying. Remember my friend with the contract with America? While voting seems popular among Republicans, at least the hoi Palloi, their leaders are not all that fond of it. In the run-up to the 2022 midterm elections, 39 states have brought up at least 393 bills restricting voting rights. That's an average of more than 10 bills per state. Since they don't control that many state legislatures, what's going on? Even when in the minority the Republicans bring these bills, which they know will fail, in those states— so, why do they do it? They can have a platform to voice their bogus claims of stolen elections just to maintain their grip on their true believers and keep them agitated. Where they can get the restrictions in place, who will they keep from voting? Now These are crude tools, more akin to sledgehammers than scapels. What, what if they accidentally exclude you? Does Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis or Moscow Mitch or Kevin McCarthy know who you are? Or care who you are? How much do you donate to them? These clowns despise democracy. It puts their quest for power in the hands of others. They want that power for themselves. They admire dictators. They envy them. So what is conservatism? The basic tenet of conservatism is to restrict power to the smallest number of players. It began as support for the king against the nobility, then the king and the nobles against the bourgeoisie, and then the king, the nobles, and the bourgeoisie against everyone else, and then the elite against the the rabble. You and me. So I guess we have to admit that they have progressed. Democracy appealed to the intellects of most of the founders, we the people. However, they feared the loss of their wealth, much of it in appropriated lands and slaves. So they put enough restrictions in place to protect their wealth. They tried to combine democracy and conservatism, and that gave the advantage to conservatives. Here in the summer of 2022, Biden won a legislative victory with a very limited bill that should benefit almost every American. It allows the government to negotiate drug prices. The government is the largest buyer of medical supplies and services in the world. That will almost assuredly move us from the nation with the highest drug prices in the world to one with the lowest. The conservative GOP voted against it unanimously. It invests money in energy and climate reform to reduce emissions, reducing methane and CO2 emissions by about 40% by the end of this decade. The Conservative GOP voted against it unanimously. It taxes corporations with incomes of a billion dollars or more, at least 15%. Less what they that's less than what every working stiff pays. Since most of these corporations pay little or no taxes and get refunds while they're not paying taxes, the added taxes will reduce the national debt. The conservative GOP voted against it, unanimously, and it is expected to reduce inflation. What have the conservatives done for you? The Republican Party doesn't legislate very much. Why? because they don't nominate or elect people versed in or interested in legislating. They nominate and elect ideologues. They do pass tax cuts. The overwhelming benefits go to those least needful of those cuts. They do vote for aircraft, ships, and other such things that the Pentagon neither wants nor needs. Why? To compensate the military-industrial complex for their bribes. They avoid putting restrictions on guns for the same reason. If you know of any other legislative activity that they pursue, let me know. Don't waste too much time, though. Looking for conservative legislative activity is a close relative of a snipe hunt. I have not covered this subject adequately. The complexity of dissecting and explaining the full variety of all of the variations is difficult because many of these pieces aren't designed to fit. Were it not for the constant distractions and unnecessary partisan bickering, the Congress might actually become productive to the benefit of the country and its citizenry. For that to happen would require voters to look at whether the positions of the candidates on the issues would help them and or strengthen the country. That's not going to happen unless the voters ignore ideology And the candidates that use it to deceive the voters. Well, I've kept y'all long enough to deserve overtime pay. You deserve it, but I'm not sufficiently blessed financially to do so. You'll just have to make do with my sincere thanks for hanging around so long. Y'all come back now, you hear? Thanks for coming by and listening to the Cooth Hillbilly Podcast. Not to worry, he'll be back, and we hope that you will be too. In the meantime, just run over to CouthHillbilly.com and subscribe. That's C-O-U-T-H Hillbilly.com. That way you'll be certain to never miss an episode. Stay safe.